coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. And I think the start point is that you have to be a good listener. So, you know, get to that deeper level of listening, which I have to work on every day, definitely. Not just the one where you're picking up the non-visual and verbal communication stuff, but, but actually where they feel that you really care and authentically care. A big thanks for tuning in today. We've got our guest, Ben Ryan, coming up with more great insights very soon. But just before we get there, we have to say a big thank you to an overarching sponsor of the show, Hawora. It's a whole person performance well-being growth partner that aims to improve individual and organizational health and well-being by focusing on four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. If you want to find out more, go to www.haworalife.com. That's H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Ben Ryan, world leader in performance and the most successful men's rugby sevens coach in the world. Ben Ryan is the only coach who won continental world and Olympic titles and has been named in the top 50 most influential people in world rugby. Ben has been working at the top end of international sport for over a decade, is an ambassador for HSBC and Fiji Airways and consults for many world-class organizations in the business and sporting world. He hosts his own podcast which includes interviews with Owen Eastwood, Nemanja Nadolo and Greg Barton. Today we spoke about trust, success and a story about people. We asked Ben about what he means when he proclaims the things we know best are the things we were never taught. Ben shares his upbringing, how Brentford will fare in the Premier League, and lessons learned from his time spent in Fiji. Check out his book, Seven's Heaven. This podcast focuses on high-performing individuals. Ben has brought that energy wherever he's been. Lean in. Ben Ryan, thanks a million for coming on this morning. How are you, sir? I'm good, actually. You know, sun is shining and uh, can, we've just talked off air about the birds in the background tweeting away. So um looks like we've, we, we get, we're in for a nice few days here. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and Ben, where is home for you? It's West London or South West London. I, I, can't, I grew up in Brentford. I, I was born in Wimbledon, grew up in Brentford and then just moved across the river when I came back from Fiji to Richmond. And we're about to move to Teddington in a couple of weeks. So some boxes around me packed up and ready to go. Yeah, lo- lovely part of the world, yeah. And Brentford just getting into the Premier League is good, good, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, I'm a season ticket holder there, and you know, I could hear the, I could hear the the, the noise of the crowd from the back garden when I was growing up. Um, so fond memories, really. Um, and and a, a, and a weird side story uh, and a random fact for you. But in 1899, when it was Brentford Rowing Club, they had a meeting because they wanted to play. Uh, they wanted to form a football club, but they couldn't decide if it was going to be association football or rugby football. Uh, and they had a vote, and the guy that put the rugby vote forward didn't didn't get it across the line. And it became association football, and he ended up in goal for the f- for the football team in the first game. So <laughs> could have been a bit different, you know. I could, you could be talking to me as the Brentford RFC um, <laughs> director of rugby. Bees rugby, bees rugby all the way. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. yeah, yeah. And was Richmond where your journey in rugby and in sports started? Yeah, it was actually in in kind of again um, on on that's on the other side of the river. I went to 
to Pride Infant School in Strand on the Green, which is literally like 100 metres from the new Brentford Football Club. Um, and then I got taken to the under sevens Richmond uh, minis, which back then was combined with London Scottish. There were, weren't enough players, and it was, you know, shows my age, but it was right at the start of mini rugby. So at under sevens, there was no tag or anything like that. It was full on contact. And the first training session with a guy called Captain Mac was tackling. And yeah, I, re- I really, I really engaged in it, loved it. And so. That was that was where I started the, my rugby journey, and then on the other side of the river was track and field at, at Thames Valley Harriers over over near Wormwood Scrubs Prison. So, so if you're ever short for numbers, you can just get some of the deer from Richmond Park and plug them <laughs> into the squad, right? <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to really start with uh, something that we both really gravitated towards on your website. The things we know best are the things we were never taught. And it kind of really was quite profound. We were just talking about it about an hour ago in prep for this. What's that all about? It's about where you gain your knowledge from and what's important, you know. And my journey kind of has has meandered academically, really. I've learned my greatest lessons away from lecture theatres and classrooms by interactions and experiences, good and bad. And I think you draw upon those as, as your journey ascends or descends. And and I, and I think it's important, you know, it, it crosses over in so many different areas, David. Like at the moment, you know, we talk about performance and culture and everything else, but it's an, it's harder to measure. But it doesn't mean it's not got value. And, and I think, you know, you need a foundation or to be able to have conversations. Um, and I've got that academic background in, you know, sports science and teaching, coaching and stuff. But but I think to add to that layer, to that have that um, that sense of understanding, good decision making, uh, you need to have that those other those other thing areas where you pick up stuff that's not written down. It's conversations, it's experiences. And in your practice, how deliberate were you or are you with bringing yourself to them experiences? So, do you reach out to people to interact? Do you connect with people regularly, or was that something that happens sort of accidentally almost? I think it comes kind of definitely three happenstance. Definitely, you 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 come across people and you build forge relationships. Some of it comes organically, just from the positions you're in and the people you meet. And then then there's the proactive stuff where you reach out, and whether that's for a mentor or it's like stuff like this. You know, I'm sure you guys would be able to um, understand this that like by doing a podcast, you know, you suddenly open up a different network and it really engages me and, and it's my favorite part of, of doing just, I mean, I'm way behind you guys in the amount of episodes, but it's just a lot of fun to do that, reach out to different people and, you know, have conversations with people that you want to chat to. So it's those three things really. And, and, and I definitely more deliberate now and, and curiosity is a really important trait, I think, to have as a, a leader or coach or a hate number, leaders, the wrong word uh, as a coach or someone involved in, in performance. Yeah, and, and what really brought about the start of this pod is, is is the curiosity, right? And the continuous learning we get from it. We're looking at the Ben Ryan podcast and what jumped out to me there was how hard is a hard day. It never starts at rugby, you know, Nemano Nadolo, what a wing. Little things make a big difference. So many big themes that you've learned and stories you've unpacked. What what are you learning through the process of, of the podcast? What are the big things that maybe are influencing or or impacting the roles and the positions that you're in at the moment i think the biggest the biggest thing is it kind of mot's or tests out how you see things so if i have a view on 
what I think is is important to the foundations. Your, you know, what you do in the first forty eight hours in a new new job or new project or a new team. You know, I want to know how other people see that from other people's eyes and other people's viewpoints from different cultures, from different ages, um, different sexes, and different sports, and and all of that then kind of layers onto your thinking. And you know, we we've all got an element of plagiarizing things. You know, you you speak to somebody. And you'll go, okay, that that you turn that down a bit or turn that up a bit and embed it into what you're doing and it would work fantastically. So it's it's a combination of of all of that, really. And then as a coach, was there any moments you obviously got knowledge from your guests and the people you've spoken with in your circles? Was there any moment as a coach where you felt a player gave you a profound bit of wisdom or knowledge that you just maybe came out of left field you weren't expecting and really changed the way you did maybe your day-to-day practices or your strategies? Good question. Um, I think that the short answer is, yeah, there there definitely was. And I can think of it in different ways. So there's times where some some players would question me and my ego would suddenly rear up and and I'd bat them away, certainly in in my younger days. And then, you know, depending on the on the character, so like Rob Vickerman, who is an ex-England Sevens captain, you know, he was very good at questioning. And at the start, I think, particularly if you're under a little bit of pressure at the time or the program's getting nudged around, you can push back a bit. And then, you know, for him, he, he carried on pushing. And that allowed me then to start to reflect on how I was behaving and drop my ego. And that gave me a good lesson going forward. Uh, so I suppose that's one example. I, I mean, I remember a technical one with Osea Klinasau, um, the Fijian captain, where I was trying to get them to tackle lower. Um, and it wasn't because they just liked whacking people's heads off. It was because <laughs> the game's played high in Fiji. It's an offloading game. Balls up there around the shoulders. So as you, you know, you, as a kid, you learn you know how to defend and that's trying to, to get that ball. And you get don't get the ball, you often can get someone too high and so I was stopping people in training when they were when they were going high and giving it the tactical and technical input you know this is what you do heads up hands up on your toes you know drive through stay low um chase your feet all those sort of things and then showing them it and and Oscar just took me to one side and said don't bother doing any of that if, if next time someone has a high tackle just get us running around the posts and back and just keep doing that it's how we'll learn and <laughs> You know, that's that's probably not a, a lesson plan I would have had as a teacher. I would have got questioned probably my by you know early days head of department or a mentor, but actually, you know, it got the right response because that's culturally what those those boys needed for the stimulus response kind of continuum for them. So yeah, I learned I learned I mean Oscar, I probably I learned more from from a player than anybody else because we had a very open relationship and it was information sharing it was what works best it was um, changing decision making based upon what he said or what I've said to him so yeah plenty of occasions actually and when you're working with with teams or organizations be that even in an ambassador role would say HSBC something you're doing a, a huge element of working with people and building rapport and relationships must be trust so that they're buy-in from both sides we're all on the same hymn sheet when you're starting or working with someone or an organization, even with you know, with sleep and water as an example, how do you really get the trust level? How do you start off that relationship that ultimately you want to be sustainable and have a lot of longevity with it? Yeah, I had this conversation 
with someone recently, um, uh, Owen Eastwood, who who's just written a, a, an amazing book called Belonging, and he's just done a review with Harlequins and also works alongside Gareth and the England team for the last five years. And this question I posed him actually is like, what you know, trust? You know, how do you measure it? How do you know when someone trusts you? And I think the start point is that you have to be a good listener. So you know, get to that that deeper level of listening, which I, I have to work on every day, definitely. To, to get away from that transactional level of listening to that deeper level where they not just the one where you're picking up kind of the non-visual and verbal communication stuff, but, but actually where they feel that you really care and authentically care. And I think that takes a, that's a gift and takes a lot of time to, to, to learn and you've got to stay on top of it. And I think that's your start point. Make sure you listen as deeply as you possibly can. So they feel that you're invested and that you follow up on any promises and anything you've said and you're consistent so that they come back and talk maybe at a deeper level maybe reveal more things and, and so i don't know in a corporate thing if i'm if i'm working with a corporation that might start with a, a you know some some headline conversations with some of their senior leadership team but when you start to get messages or, or you know that someone whatsapps you or asks you for a bit of advice or asks for a coffee and it's you know away from the formal it's into that informal areas where they feel they can trust you enough to give you information. So they feel it's, it's a hot topic and lots of people hang on to this psychological safety. But but that's important that people feel that they can have a conversation, be safe, tell you exactly how they feel. And I think trust definitely comes into play when, when, we're, when, we, when we get into those sort of conversations. Thinking about trust within a team environment where there's an aligned goal and generally there's time to get to know the people involved and the individuals when you're working with a company say doing a keynote or giving a masterclass how do you get your information across to give impact when you don't have that time to build up the trust that there's someone here to impact and change what I do day to day what's the keys you use to get that behavioral change part start with uh, for any organization it's doing your doing your homework and diligence to find out you know their origin story um where they where they where they're their values and their purpose originates from and where they currently are, where, where, where do they sit, you know, what's important to them. And then you look at making sure that any tools, any opportunities for further discussion is, is around what's important to them. It's not, you know, just straight out of a box, we're going to bang on about these, these areas. It's got to be, it's got to be discreet towards what they're after. And it makes a difference. Everyone's busy. Everyone's got, a lot of opportunity to get information through the internet and through everything else. So when you're delivering, you've got to make sure that you've, you've done your homework and it's targeted and they feel that you've invested time and energy into helping them and give them some other ways to look at it. And that different perspective, I think, is is really important. And I think it's edging into sport a lot more in the roles of these non-exec directors in sport that are also crossing over into performance roles and they can just give a slightly different perspective on things rather than just toe the party line or stay inside the the bubble of that organization and not be able to step out and, and add value in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. That's excellent. Something we're drawn to, again, looking, looking up your background, you seem to have a lot of experience and exposure in the, the success culture piece and the building out of that. And it's something that would we both find very interesting from our experience in kind of performance departments with teams. Um, and working with front office and things like that. 
when, when you're going in into that system, into that structure where there's people everywhere and they want to be successful and they're, they're nearly there, but they're not quite there. How would you start that process? What would you be looking for to help get that team over the line so that maybe they win? Yeah, the, the first thing, obviously, is before you go to see them that you've you've got some background and some information. But often, you know, what you read or what you're told, you know, that's that's not really the culture. That's not really what's going on. And you've got to go in and that kind of MOT period where you're where that car's in the garage and you're having a little run round of things, you keep an open mind. You don't know what might be wrong or what needs a little bit of an improvement. And that's where you just gain insight by listening, um, moving around, asking open questions, showing that you're there to help. And, uh, you, you know, that, that's, and that's a key because often if you go into some sports organizations, if they haven't done well, then they might be thinking that you're there looking for the possibility of, of moving people on or making decisions that are going to affect their, their jobs. That's a start point of anything that that's never my role It's to, to do that MOT. And then when you get enough information, it's then right. Okay how fast what's the pace and what's the risk of any of the any of the things that you're you're perhaps mentioned to them that they could they could look to to change or to do and it has to be connected so whatever you say they've got to understand why you're saying it and you know that that goes from coaching uh, i tell a, a story you know, around fijians that you know that i got to do a speed test and they didn't understand why i was doing it um because I hadn't connected to why I was doing it. And that's really important as well. So don't just say you should think about doing this, this, and this, unless you actually connect everything that you do. Did you win the speed test, Ben? Did you compete in it as well? Man, honestly, in that 40 meters speed test, everyone would have, they were so slow <laughs> because because they didn't, I hadn't told them that, that I wanted to get a 40 meter time just so that I could get some measurements and I could, put some stuff around them to try to improve it. They just thought, why is this ginger bloke getting me to, <laughs> to run to, you know, to a plastic bag 40 meters away? It's not fun, I'm not getting any faster. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not scoring a try, you know, and it was um, at that point and, uh, and the physio, William, my physio from Fiji saying, you know, get someone to chase them. And then they could, they had actually had a goal there they, they got faster because they wanted to run away from them and, and, it was a good example for me that I just assumed they would understand a f fitness test or a speed test was there to measure something that I'd then hopefully manage. And they, you know, they didn't get that because I hadn't explained it. And that meant then from then on the, a good lesson for me that I made sure everything was explained because, you know, I would make some pretty drastic changes to their lifestyle, especially their nutritional lifestyle. And they had to understand the benefits, you know, like you do in a, speaking to Kath Bishop, XGB. Um, rower silver medalist and world champion and she's also a works in the in the foreign service as a diplomat and you know she says that's the art of negotiation there's always the other person always got to think well, what's in it for me you know and so you so anything that you're, you're asking someone to do whether whether you realize it or not subconsciously that person's thinking okay what's in it for me and then just speaking about that matching with the people you're in front of, there's always an element of fun and enjoyment that you have to bring as a coach to an environment. Was there any strange drills or anything interesting that you brought into your camps and or into your teams to, you know, just lighten the mood sometimes and get the, the players on board with what you're doing? My warm up sessions in certainly in, in sevens haven't hadn't changed. You know, ninety percent of it was always the same and it's contrary to a, to a, I guess a lot of coaches that like to change their warm ups up. But for me, I it meant that I would because I knew it so well. I get to see 
the smaller bits, you know, just their body language, how, how well they were doing it. Um, but you'd always ch- chuck in some sort of energizer at the start. And there's one called the cone game that, that you run around trying to find a spare cone. I'd play a lot of small sided games. I'd get involved a bit and, you know, make myself look a bit stupid occasionally. Um, yeah, there's a few like that. I mean, in my early days when I was coaching 15s and, and sevens really was just a an afterthought. I didn't think I'd be in sevens for as long as I, as I was. And 15s, I, I was, you know, we took a small team called Newbury up, up the leagues and into the championship and we got into top four and, you know, we did very well there. We would do things after games, you know, just little, just building that that purpose and that that um, togetherness. So if you win an away game, you get fish and chips on the way home. We also had a, a hundred popper dom challenge, where oh, after nice. it's nutritionally oh, terrible, oh, nice. where where you get on the you get on the bus on the way back, and somebody has you know taken up the challenge, and they've got a hundred popper doms that I've, I've got from from the supermarket in the morning, and they've got to see how many you can you can boss the record. Can you can you get how many can you get through? I think it was from one conversation months earlier where there was the. There was a McDonald's menu challenge, I think, that someone was attempting, and then it went on to Poppadoms, and somebody said, oh, I can do 100. And, and I think uh, about 50-something was the record. And you've got these big props, you know, that, that are going through these Poppadoms, and after about 20, you know, they're moaning that they're getting little cuts on their mouths and the salt's burning them. And, um, <laughs> but, and, and as much as nutritionally that was a terrible idea, it creates um, another bond and another thing to talk about. And it's not driven around alcohol and, you know, down in as many pints as you can. It was, there was a little slight change. We wanted to change the culture slightly and move away a bit away from the booze and more towards different angle and not using that around all our post-match stuff. So things like that, I guess you just have to judge on the culture and what you want to get out of that at the time. I'm definitely going McDonald's menu on that one. Papadom challenge this afternoon it is <laughs> look the cultural piece is really interesting i mean you're you're definitely a, a person that's been around people for so long and, and and understands people from different walks of life you've obviously tried to enact change be that training be that routine be that consistency nutrition hydration preparation when you were over in fiji and places like that what have you taken from those experiences maybe from that island in the pacific back to uh, where you are now in london yeah, the greatest lesson I learned really was question everything you bring into a program and in an ideal world, strip it down and keep it simple. As we all know, simple isn't necessarily straightforward. So anything that you're putting into a program, how much does it give back to you? How much value is it for that program? And, you know, I'd gone from England where they were definitely, you know, I, I was the first coach to use GPS in international rugby. But um, I only used it because in a cupboard in my office was a whole load of GPS that um, Clive Woodward had got for the England team. And they'd used in one training session, just thought they don't like them. And they'd they'd put these 30 grand's worth of kit in this cupboard and just left it. And so we wanted to measure, you know, what sort of workload sevens players were, were doing and what the differences were and jet lag and all those sort of things. And we thought, well, let's just get that to measure it. And it was therefore very important important to us but there, there's there's times where that you can waste a lot of money time and energy on things that aren't even a marginal gain and do you spend money on a marginal gain when actually your foundations you're not having enough conversations with people in your organization for example but you're going to spend a load of money on software for analysis you, you got the the cart before the horse there because you've got to get those foundations right so i think with fiji you know that was i knew that if we got our foundations right 
some of it was obvious that it was getting them fitter, getting them better on nutrition. Technically, you know, they never did any work on set piece, defense, stuff like that. But then it was the actually in Fiji, one of the strengths was they they live in a village. Most of them come from those cultures where people is very important. Family is very important. They had amazing emotional intelligence around seeing people without saying anything. They'd understand whether these someone was up or someone was down. But culturally, there was a hierarchy. So feedback was terrible. Um, how conversations flowed were often one directional between an elder and uh, and someone younger. And so it was a strength, but it was also a weakness. And and you look at all of that stuff and, you know, until you get all of that right, there's very little point in then adding all those those whistles that a lot of professional teams will go to straight away because they think, well, that's what everyone else does. Echoes too. we had actually James Kerr on this podcast last year and his book Legacy about sweeping the sheds yeah. was one. And you've seen the influx of Twitter videos and Instagram videos of teams sweeping out, cleaning up after themselves yet the foundations of what they did of work ethic of showing up and punctuality and things like that weren't nailed on Don't it was know, yeah. more that they're doing doing the, the fluffy afters nearly drives me mad that sort of stuff i've seen it like i mean without wanting to throw them up well i'll throw them under it doesn't matter it, when i was with when i was with fiji in my first year i saw the england boys at twickenham in the london sevens like sweeping around the changing rooms you know and the door was open they wanted everyone to see it and I'd never seen them do it any other tournament and I hadn't seen them do it afterwards. And it was just, it was just almost to grab some social media to show people perhaps in the short term, this is what we do, what, you know, and they don't, they didn't do it. And it wasn't, it wasn't there. It wasn't there in their value system. And I see that all the time. And you've also got to be very careful, you know, that, that you're doing it for the right reason. You're doing it consistently. And you also understand that people are human and that team that sweeps the sheds might also you know, be front of the news for doing something that they shouldn't have done. And, you know, everyone, including the All Blacks, have been in that position. And it's then, you know, I'm saying that, you know, we're all human, we'll all learn from it and, and you move on. But, yeah, it, it does drive me nuts when I see videos of a coach, you know, showing a coach put a bag on a bus or sweeping a changing room or this or, the, or that. It's like that stuff's the stuff that you really shouldn't be putting on social media. And if it sneaks out, then fair enough. But if it's orchestrated then you've, you've, I think it tells you quite a lot about the culture, actually. Yeah, it's very difficult to, to tag on the value system when the players and people don't believe in it and aren't living it. So would you have seen a lot of companies and corporations that you've worked with that are really promoting values and you're trying to help them live it? I think it's case by case. I think there's a general trend at the moment because of COVID, because of people having suddenly a pause button to, to think about what's important and are they in the jobs? Are they, are they running departments, corporations, organizations, teams as they want to? Are they being true to, to that? There's also more of people able to feedback now and say if they don't feel happy about however they're being dealt with. And that goes back to that psychological piece. There's, there's, there can be a disconnect with the values, I, th- I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. And it's often because those values are done Let's take sport. This is a common thing. Pre-season, sit down, have a bit of a let's have let's stick some words on the board. Um, that, oh yeah, um, we want honesty, hard work, loyalty. You know, and it's always the same ones. And then they go right, yeah, yeah. This is what we're about. And and then by you know three weeks, no one knows what they are. Certainly, no one's living them, and no one's having conversations around 
someone being late for a physio session and you're break you know our value of trust or togetherness is being broken because because of that there's no connection on that and it's also not linked into origin and purpose you know it's not tied in specifically going back to what i'd said earlier around what that actual organization or that or that club you know where where have they come from and i think that's really important you know getting that that vision right um leads into all the values so yes it uh, I think there's a trend towards people putting more onus on it and um, and living them better and having more um, openness on being picked up on things if they're not doing it right. But there's still a huge amount of work that needs to be done on, on all of this. Going back to Brentford, your, the origin story, I mean, we've had Michael Caulfield on it who's worked for them. I, I know mm. a, a doctor, Matthew Stride, who used to work for them quite a lot. Um, they've been knocking on the door for a long time. And, and they're finally going up to the Prem. How can they get the mindset piece right? How can they stay up there? Because isn't that always, of course, there's the influx of money, but how can they stay up there? What's it all about? How can What do they need to manage and achieve so that they don't go back down to the championship? Well, you know, I'm lucky enough to know some of the guys that, that, work, that work there in the performance staff. And I think the first thing I say is that you know, Brentford do things differently. So, you know, you, you, you spoke to Michael, you know, and he, he'll give you a good insight there from that, the sports psych side. They've got Phil Giles and Rasmus Angsen as the two co-directors of football, both given different skill sets, but both very bright, creative thinkers and not afraid to do things differently. And I think that then goes down into the culture that they they've created amongst the staff. And Thomas Frank is is an exceptional coach, really. You know, and he would say to you, you know, he he would want to speak to everybody in the staff and and the and the squad um, every day, and he he makes it very much a personal um, goal of his and has that relationship right at the top of his agenda, and and that then kind of permeates around the club, um, you know, and and so I think I think. Brentford are going to be absolutely fine and aren't going to get relegated. In fact, you know, I think they might be looking a little bit higher and it is a small club. But going back to the origin story, in the 30s, Brentford were were awesome. You know, they got promoted and then they had this amazing manager called Harry Curtis. Um, that he, he, he said once that one day the bees will hold company amongst the gods and, oh. um, and he got them promoted. And in the first few seasons, they were fifth, sixth. They, you know, they beat Arsenal, had won the league three years in a row, and Brentford had knocked them over. Then the Second World War came, and they shut down the first division. And when it re-emerged, you know, many years later, Brentford got relegated. Um, and I think, you know, of that couldn't do anything about the Second World War. But I think if that hadn't happened, Brentford wouldn't. We wouldn't be talking about them the same the same way I don't think because they would have probably established themselves as a as one of the top teams in the country you know I don't know if the if the current players know about about the origin story but you know they've got people at the club there's a guy called Pete Gillum um, who's the pitch side commentator and he's um he's Mr Brentford so he'll know all these stories and I'm sure the players you know it's part of that journey you know they need to understand you know there's perhaps is unfinished business from that team of the 1930s Brentford always have done things a little bit differently, even a hundred years ago. Yeah, I, I think Brentford will be fine. They play a really, they play a really attractive way. They don't just not just all data. It's very much around people and looking after people. So, um, I think you'll you'll enjoy watching Brentford in the next seasons. Hopefully, you repeat the same. Yeah, well, maybe apart from the World War, but other than that, <laughs> with that culture, that team that's around them, 
how important is it for like you're talking about Rasmus Ankerson and stuff having that vision because if Brentford suffered a hiccup which they did on the way people start to question hold on is this money ball approach which some people call it is it data heavy how important is it to stick to your guns and stay with it and who drives that it's important in sport full stop because it's so easy to be knee-jerk to also have a disconnect. And you see it so often in football. You know, um, I don't know if you, if, when Mourinho was at Tottenham and they had the the Amazon Prime uh, documentary around them, the yeah. obvious disconnect between the board and what's going on on the field. And again, goes back to that kind of, there's no non-exec there that's got those softer performance skills that can have the right conversations with the staff, can understand what's going on and doesn't require a knee-jerk either recruitment of the wrong manager or put or getting rid of someone after a couple of games and not seeing the bigger picture. So I think that's where organisations like Brentford and you know and and I think the All Blacks was is another good example. Um, and I can I can think of you know Golden State Warriors in, in the last few years up, up until about last year and you know that and Seattle Seahawks and all these teams you know that they don't just look at what's going on tomorrow and make decisions on it they have a bigger goal and it goes into you know once you get that get the vision and then your your mission then you can start to to plan and you don't then rear up and change things if suddenly you've had a couple of bad results because take football it's such a low scoring sport you get upsets and people don't always win the games it's not as much like rugby where there's just it's far more unlikely to get those upsets purely because of often the scoring and you know the better team can often win over those 80 minutes because of that so yeah I, I think it's a it's a good lesson and I think it's um it's something we should all think about really you know not suddenly throw everything out after one failure learn from it and you know adapt and stick to what your what your vision is Ben, we, we've, we've t- traced into your history a little bit. For people who don't know the full history, look it up. Um, book, gold medal, so many amazing pieces of success. What's next for you, Ben? Um, I don't know, if I'm honest with you. I think if you'd asked me that 18 months ago, I would have said, look, I'm really enjoying the variety I do. You know, I, I consult for quite a lot of different organizations. Um, I work with the French Federation, um, although I haven't been across in France for almost two years now with COVID. Um, I also work for uh, UK Sport um, as an independent consultant. So I, I go into all sorts of different things. I find it fascinating. There's so many, so many good people working in the UK sports system and you go into different sports, whether that's a deep dive or walk the floor, an investment panel um, or what it takes to win discussion all those things are amazing uh, i love it and i learned loads from it but what i haven't got and going back to owen had this conversation with owen eastwood actually this week i haven't got belonging i haven't got anywhere where i spend enough time where i real fit really feel i belong and i think covid has kind of made me think about that going right although i've got all these fun projects i'd happily push them all aside now to feel belonging in a chunky challenge that's that's going to to give me that that feeling because uh, that's important. I don't know how you guys feel about that in your work, but belonging for me is really vital, I, I, and I'm missing it at the moment. Um, not to the point where you know I'm climbing up the walls, but I'm certainly now got my kind of ear to the ground a bit more and open to opportunities that I probably wouldn't have said I would have been open to eighteen months ago. Yeah, I think given the 
pandemic as well people have got the chance to hop off the treadmill and have a look at that mm. do they do they have a fit in their life but speaking of being reflective if you were down at richmond and maybe coming across the river after doing a session and tackling was a younger self of ben ryan would you give him a lesson and if you would speak to him what would you try to distill to him i don't think i would have changed too much there's definitely stuff that you know i wish i'd known more as a youngster and, and that was i guess just having good um, habits for sure because I, I, I kind of went off the rails a little bit as a teenager and everything kind of went sideways for a while and I didn't really and part of that was no didn't have habits and I was just getting away with a lot without any consequences really um, and so I think I probably tell my younger self start getting some nice little daily habits into routines that builds up that resilience and um, small things, I think, make a big difference. Um, you know, the, the amazing book Atomic Habits is another great. You know, she has so many different examples about that and how it can it can positively affect just your mindset and the way you, you deal with things. And might have stopped me getting seven or eight operations and having to fall out of the game a lot earlier than I wanted to. Um, probably would have also not got thrown around like a rag doll if I had woken up every morning and banged out a few press-ups as an <laughs> eight or nine-year-old. <laughs> that might have helped. Um, or eating the poppadoms. Eating the poppadoms. Yeah, it, it continue, it's a long list. And <laughs> spending most of my teenage years in the pub didn't help either. So, so yeah, the, all, the, all, those, all those small things, that's probably what I would have. I would have nudged him in the right way as well because he probably didn't want to get told when he was an eight or nine-year-old. So I would have had to make work out what was in it for eight-year-old Ben. And um, that might have taken some convincing back then. Ben, you're a man that understands performance so much more than the two of us here chatting to you this morning. Um, we'd like to finish with a quite simple question. What does high performance mean to you, Ben Ryan? Whether, you, whether it's one person or it's you know Nike, it's about making sure that everybody's at their best consistently. Um, and that's all you can ask for. I hate the phrase 110%. Um, you are, you know, when you're at your maximum, you're at your maximum. And being consistently at your maximum is what high performance is. And it's not just restricted to Olympians and elite athletes, high performance, doing things consistently at a high, at a high level. You know, I've got some butchers that we go to, the Armstrongs, um, family of, of butchers, many generations. They are high performing. You know, they, their service is amazing. The quality is amazing. They're consistent. You feel safe and purposeful when you walk into the butchers. I know that sounds silly, but actually, you know, you shouldn't ever restrict, you know, being as good as you possibly can to just those big headline things. It's the small things, I think. Um, so for me, that's what high performance is. Sounds like we're getting a ribeye in the post, Kieran. <laughs> I'd go for the fillet, actually. It's fillet. Yeah, yeah. It's more expensive, but, you know. That's okay. We'll take yeah, the fillet, Ben. It's take a nice one, yeah. yeah. I had one last night, actually. It was delightful. There you go. Ben, we'd like to say thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. Learned a lot. Really enjoyed it. Stay well. Keep in touch. Yeah, snap. Like, thanks. You give great questions. And um, thanks for, you know, I listen to your podcast. Love it. And um, keep up the good work. Thanks a million. We'll see you in London soon, hopefully. That's it. Lovely stuff. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. 
Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. 